Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about no practice piano lessons. Welcome back, lovely teachers. So many of us believe in practice. I would say um, most of us (laughs) believe in the power of practice going along with lessons. It's kind of how we do things, right? But there is a time and a place for no practice piano lessons. And in particular today, we're talking about teenagers who need a period of no practice piano lessons. Today's podcast is inspired by an article by Joanna, who's on Team VMT. She wrote this post and honestly I could have written it myself in a way. Like I could have, when I'm reading it, it could be my own words coming back at me is what I mean. Because this is something that was a big, I guess, epiphany for me quite a few years ago and I think it's a message that still needs to be heard by many teachers. What we're not saying here is that a brand new student should be let off from practice or that we should just remove practice from the idea of piano lessons altogether, just completely take it off the table. That's not what we're saying. But with your teenage students, there does tend to come a time or periods of time, seasons of their life, when they just aren't going to practice. (laughs) And there's nothing that you can do to inspire them enough to do it, right? They're just literally too busy. Now, a lot of the time our students claim to be busy and actually they are just playing with their iPads. But for some teenagers, they go through seasons, you know, they're preparing for big exams or they've got a dance recital coming up. It could be anything. They just need some time off from practice. There are also those times when they're just overwhelmed by life, by their hormones, by other things. And piano feels like a burden to them, even though they still enjoy it. So this idea of taking practice off the table can be an enormous relief, not just for the student, definitely it can be a huge relief for them, but also for their parent and their relationship. If the parent has always been good at keeping their kid practicing, and now the kid is in secondary school, they're 13, 14 years old, and the parent is still trying to keep up the daily practice, but it's becoming more and more of a battle instead of a reminder Well, that's a good sign that maybe it needs to come off the table. Not wanting to practice doesn't necessarily mean that you don't like piano. 
if I have a student who doesn't enjoy piano, doesn't want to be there and their parent is pushing them into it, that is an entirely different scenario. And I honestly wouldn't suggest removing the practice requirement there. I'd suggest removing the piano lessons because if they just hate it and it's not about the content, it's not that that we're not doing something that they really want to do. It's actually just that they do not enjoy piano and they've tried and <laughs> we've tried lots of different things and they don't like it. That's different. But we do have those students. I, I'm sure you can think of one right now who they do like their lessons. They enjoy it. And when they practice, they make a progress, but it's inconsistent or it's just been really bad this year, for example. So going into a period of no practice and being open about it rather than them having to kind of mask it every week can be really much healthier than continuing this facade of, oh, you're supposed to practice and oh, why didn't you practice when you both know it's not going to happen. So you can set an agreed upon time frame for this or it can be sort of an ongoing thing. I think this largely depends on the student's overall goals and their level and their parents' goals for them as well because they are still paying for the lessons. It is important to keep their goals in mind too. For some students, you might just have a particular month when you talk about it and you realize they're going to be too busy during that time. They're not going to practice. So you agree together. Okay, we're going to take a month off from the idea of practice. What would we like to do during that time? What would you like to explore? What would you like to achieve? Because you still can achieve things in a weekly lesson. On the other hand, you have students where the parents just want them to stay in lessons and stay at the level they're currently at without this commitment to practicing every day. I know this might sound like blasphemy to some of you, but I honestly believe this can work. I've had a few students who this has been effective. But what you need, if you're going to go into this idea of long-term no-practice lessons, what you need is understanding from the parents about the progress levels, and you need a student who has a certain level already. I mean, we're talking about students who are six, seven years into study. Practice just doesn't seem to be fitting in with their life, but they do want to keep playing, and their parents are happy for them to stay at roughly the same level, just not slipping backwards. So when that is the case, this might be for a particular year for my student. And that's because I'm playing the long game. I want them to play piano forever. I want them to enjoy music in some capacity, at least, forever. And so one year over the course of 10 is actually not as huge a deal as it seems at the time. And they're still in lessons, so they're still learning and making some progress, even though it's slower. Okay, so that's why... <laughs> Now let's talk about what. What do you do? Because I think that's the real struggle for teachers, even who are on board with this message. They feel like they just end up practicing during the lessons or having a bit of a groundhog lesson each week. There are so many things you can do, but you need to go into this knowing that your lessons are different. So you're not going to have a list of pieces that your student is working on that you revisit every week. That is a recipe for boredom, for frustration on your part and on the student's part because they're not going to practice. So it's going to get slower and slower and they're just not going to be making the progress that they would like to see or you would. And it's going to feel like you're just repeating the same thing week after week. However, if you do other things and if you do easier reading material, you can have really fun lessons. So here's some suggestions of what you could include. You can start with a physical warm up and exercise and actually 
This is not time wasting whatsoever. <laughs> Doing a physical warm up at the start of lessons, I believe, is a good idea for everyone. But I think it's especially good for teenagers. If you do something which helps them loosen up their bodies, loosen up their muscles and sit down at the piano with improved posture. I mean, we all know how hard it is to keep teens in good posture. So that's enormous. So I'd start with something like that. You can do something like the Breath of Five or your own design or some yoga poses. Then a large bulk of the lesson for me would be about improvisation and some composition, depending on which way the student is leaning or perhaps moving between the two. So, for example, I actually did a different version of a Circle of Boats Odyssey with one student who wasn't practicing and we'd agreed to take that requirement off the table. What we did together was each week we took a new key. We were actually working on the minors. So we started in A minor. We went through, she's a big minor fan, she doesn't like major keys at all. So I wanted to stay in her preference zone. So we ended up doing a week on A minor, for example, and we would go through all the, what I call, I think this comes from Bradley Sowash, scaling the chords. So going up the scale, playing the chords, starting on each note. Then we would write down what chords came up. So it goes A minor, etc., etc. Write them down in that format and then label them in Roman numerals using either lowercase or uppercase based on whether it was major or minor, or adding the diminished sign. Uh, we would pick out a series of four chords or five chords or whatever she was feeling that day and make a progression out of those from the key. And then we would play that, she would play that, she'd get used to it, we'd come up with a rhythm pattern for that, we'd then maybe transfer it to the left hand, break it apart, come up with different patterns and do some improv in the right hand. All of that takes up the bulk of 30 minutes, honestly, it takes like 20 minutes. And that was the most substantial project we were doing at the time. So I think this idea of no practice lessons becomes a lot more manageable when you can think up a project like that that does continue week to week, that you don't have to do so much extra lesson planning for this student just because they're not practicing. It doesn't have to be that way. If you can come up with a general concept like that, that is adaptable from week to week and relies on creativity to keep it fresh and interesting, this can work. So you can do a composing project, you can do an improv plan like that. You can also use lots of lesson time to play some music theory games. Yes, teenagers like music theory games. I promise you they do. And this way they're going to stay on top of their music theory. They're not going to forget concepts or terms that they already know. I also love to do lots of duets with my students who are not practicing as much. And you can go to an easier level and just play it together week after week and they play along with as much as they can. So they end up getting better over time. This is a form of practice within the lesson, but it's not, it doesn't feel like just practicing what they should be doing at home in the lesson. It feels a lot more fun and it's honestly a lot more beneficial because you are continuing to play your side of the duet and they need to play as much as they can and they're learning about this idea of flow and just coming up with the best notes you can even though you're not sure they're the right ones. So with enough practice with that they get to be pretty good sight readers. You can start at a really easy level for them if they're not strong readers already, like if that's not their strong area, really go back to very beginner duets and then you can just work through book after book of duets week after week. 
You can also use some of this time to work on practice techniques. So let's say you do keep one piece in rotation. You're not going to want to list like you would have had when they're practicing. But let's say you do keep one slightly easy for their level piece that they, you are going to work through together, but they're not expected to practice at home. Well, you can use that piece to teach them some practice techniques and strategies. A great starting point for this would be something like practice play, which is a resource inside Vibrant Music Teaching. There are different practice strategies and pretty much all of them work for pretty much every piece. So they're a great baseline to have if your student, which is probably true for most students, if they normally just play through pieces or sort of bash away at bits of them, that can start to build up a bank of practice strategies so that when they do return to practicing more regularly, they're practicing more effectively as well. Those are a few ideas to start you thinking laterally about what you can include in these lessons and how you can still make it a really rewarding experience. I think the bigger overarching message there that I'd like to get across is to do a little exercise, a little imagination exercise, and just imagine that piano worked like football practice. You aren't expected necessarily to practice on your own at home. Sure, if you reach a certain level with football, you would be. But in general, you're expected to show up and play and do the drills during that practice, i.e. that lesson, and then go home. And there's no assumption that you have to have done those things at home. If piano were like those other things, if there was no practice expectation, what would we do during lessons? This is really the place I started from with my resource, which is inside the membership, vibrantmusicteaching.com. This is where I started with our mini musicians program. Was I said, okay, many parents want their little preschooler to do piano lessons of some sort, but they don't always have yet the ability to commit to practicing with them every day, which is what is necessary for standard lessons for a preschooler, like one-on-one -on -one lessons. So the question was, if the students were just going to have a weekly musical experience centered around the piano that was still going to be fun and beneficial, great for them, what would that look like? And that's where many musicians come, came from. And it works great for people all over the world. So this can happen. Of course, you're thinking about it differently for teenagers, but the question is the same. Your one thing this week is to think about whether there are any students on your roster right now who could use this no practice piano lesson approach. Could you try it with just one kid who's really struggling right now and on the verge of quitting due to the practice requirement and see how it goes. I hope you enjoyed this episode and it gave you some food for thought. I would love to hear your thoughts on it in the comments underneath the article that goes with this episode, which is on the Colorful Keys blog or on Instagram, we're at Colorful Keys. I'll see you there and I'll see you back here next week. If you liked this episode, you would absolutely love Vibrant Music Teaching membership. We have the support and the training you need to take your teaching further. Join us today by going to vmt.ninja and signing up.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.